Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you today? Everyone have a good Thanksgiving? We did not. Five out of the six of us had the flu. And so it was a long week last week. But it is, um, it's good to be upright and back up here this week. Um, our classes this morning, if you're newer to Shiloh, um, in December we always kind of just hit pause on our classes. And we spend some time listening to people's stories and the way that God is working and moving in their life. And so I want to encourage you to stick around um, for class today. We're going to be in here um, and some really, really powerful stories I think will be a blessing to you. And so please um, plan on sticking around. Well, if you were an athlete, um, one of the things you probably can relate to is running was always a form of punishment. Right? When, when you were in trouble, what would the coach do? Would run you and run you and run you. And if you were um, in the 80s, 90s, I'm, I'm sure it was probably like this, maybe worse before me, but um, our coaches would always tell, tell us how long we're going to run until I get tired. And, and, but something was really interesting about that punishment is in that suffering, it built unity. Right? As you suffer together and you're all going through the same thing and waiting to hear these words, you're finished, you're done, it built some unity. But then there were some other times um, in my life I ended up having to do some of that running on my own. Um, evidently, they're not really big if you prank call the president of the university um, several times. And so, and if you're an athlete, then you don't just meet with the dean of men. You also meet with the athletic director and the coach. And um, Coach Full said, hey, um, because of this, we're going to do um, five at five at five. And that meant five miles at 5 a.m., five days a week. I didn't do that again. <laughs> but but I, wasn't, I wasn't really a big runner, and I hated it, and I wanted out. But the problem with that particular scenario was the reason I was in trouble and the reason I was running was my fault. Like, I got myself into it, and so I was the one who had to, to pay the price. And, and I wanted so badly for him just to say, okay, you're finished. No more. You don't have to run. And, and I kept longing to hear those words. And finally, they came. I was finished. I didn't have to show up at 5 a.m. anymore. I could wait till 5.45 with the rest of the team. Um, because that was, that was just the punishment. That was what I had to go through. Israel is being punished for this long history of disobedience. And, and the people around the time that we're going to jump into this story, they're paying for the sins of generations before them. Generations of disobedience who've tried to do their own thing and tried to make their own way and continually found themselves um, 
living underneath these oppressive empires because they wanted to try to do things on their own. And they're wanting so badly to hear those words, you're finished. You're, you're finished. You're out from under their control. You're out from under their thumb. Because they're having to pay the price of really other people's sins and other people's mistakes. And I think that's when it gets really difficult. When you're paying the price for what someone else has done long before you. But those words right there, you're finished. Sorry, go back. You're finished are powerful. They're powerful. I, I saw a post, I, I saw him today, where's John? John, this week, got to ring a cancer bell. You're finished. That, that's awesome. Finished with treatment. And so there is some hope with those words. Because words have power beyond what we expect. Right? The, the Bible begins with God speaking into this nothingness. And through His Word, this world is formed. Words have the power to create new worlds. Someone has the power to speak a word into your life that brings hope and changes the trajectory of your life. I heard a story um, in the last several weeks of a man who had become one of the most successful magazine entrepreneurs um, really in the world today. And he said when he was in high school, he was really struggling. He was flunking out of school. And his mom was trying to encourage him, trying to get him to do something and take some ownership. But before he would drop out, she said, do me a favor and take the SAT. He wasn't planning on going to college, but he took the SAT just to humor her. And he got his score back. And his score was a 1480. A 1480. And so he decided that, man, I'm pretty smart. And so he started going to classes. And he stopped hanging around the same crowd and started to hang around with kids who made better grades. And he ended up graduating from high school. And he went on to community college and he did really, really well went on to Wichita State where he did really, really well and ended up in an Ivy League school. And you can think, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. How, how those words, really a number, can change the way a person completely saw themselves differently and changed everything else in their life. But the story doesn't end there. Twelve years later, he got a letter in the mail from Princeton, New Jersey. And he didn't pay much attention to it, just left it sitting there. And his wife comes in the next day and says, are you going to actually open that letter? And he opens the letter. And it says, occasionally, the SAT board does an audit of their procedure and policies. And we want to inform you that you were one of 13 people who was sent the wrong score. You actually made a 740. 
Now, here's what's crazy. His life changed forever. Not because he made a 1480, but his life changed because he started to believe he made a 1480. Words have the power to create new worlds and to change the trajectory of someone's life. So we're going to jump into this story, and it's found in Luke, starting in verse 5. At the time of King of Herod, King of Judea, and that's where the story begins, just, just so you know, King Herod um, is king, and that's kind of the, the context that Luke wants you to have. Um, King Herod, if there was anything you could say about him that was good, he was an amazing builder. One of his most incredible projects, um, among many other things, was rebuilding the temple because he wanted the Jewish people to like him. But Herod had a really dark and evil side as well. Um, he had 11 wives. He had 43 sons. Um, one of his wives, his favorite wife, had a brother that he didn't think too much of. So he had him drowned in the family pool. Um, she became a little more distant after that. Um, and so he was going on a trip and he told one of his attendants, um, if I die while I'm gone on this trip, have her killed. And the servant told the wife that. And so when he returned, um, of course, she was even a little more distant. Um, so he had her killed. Another son he thought was trying to usurp his authority and take his throne. So he had him drowned in the family pool. Another two of his sons he thought was trying to commit treason. And so he had them stand trial. And on trial, they were basically found innocent. But he didn't agree, and so he had them killed. There were some religious leaders who um, were taking down um, different... Um, his idols of his that declared his greatness. And so he had them killed. Um, and then he developed this really debilitating disease. Um, and scholars kind of trying to figure out what it is, have a lot of different theories, but this really, really painful um, disease and was dying a really painful death. And he knew that when he died, there would be celebration in Jerusalem. And so he had some of the most prominent Jewish leaders held captive in order that at his death, they all be executed. So it would be guaranteed that there would be weeping and mourning on the day he died. This was Herod. This was Herod's world that the Jews were living in. See, the empire's name had changed, but what they were dealing with had not because this was the history of the Jewish people for centuries and centuries. The name of the empire might change, but their fate did not. They're living under a an oppressive regime, and they wanted out. They wanted more than anything else to hear those words, you're finished. You are free from the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And they've been praying for centuries to hear those words. 
God, save us. God, rescue us. God, redeem us. In the hope that God would simply say, you're finished. The wait is over. Anyone longing to hear those words today? You're finished. Battling cancer. How amazing would it be to hear those words, you're finished. Suffering through a long, painful divorce. You're finished. Another holiday without him or without her in your life. Job search. Debt. To hear those words, you're finished. The wait is over. Have the power to bring hope and clarity to life. They have the power to change the trajectory of your world. So King Herod is king. Verse 5. In the time of King Herod, of, or Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So these um, two really priestly couple, um, they're, they're from these priestly families, um, are righteous and says blameless in God's sight. All right? And then it goes on to say this, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. And it almost seems like Luke is connecting these two ideas. They were blameless. And they observed all the Lord's commands. But they were childless. Because having children was a sign of God's favor. And a sign of God's goodness. And so obviously, if they were blameless and favored by God, then they would have children. It's almost as if he's connecting these ideas, saying that there's this correlation between your circumstances and what's happening. Because a lot of times that's how we think. right? If we're good, if we're righteous, if we're people who are trying to follow Jesus, then God's blessings are going to be evident and everything in our life is going to be right. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And what I do know is your circumstances don't correlate in any way to how God feels about you. Them not having children was not punishment from God. It was simply their circumstances. It was their life. It was what they were going through. 
And, and so they don't have children. My guess is they've been begging God for children. In the same way that Zechariah and the people of Israel have been begging God to save them and to take them out of this oppressive world. But these circumstances are not an indication of how God feels. And so Zechariah is this priest and he is called into service. And there's this one day where he goes into basically the holy place, he's at the altar of incense. And there, things change. Things change because of some words that are spoken to him. So verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice at his, verse, his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and disobedient to wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. So he gets this word from an angel of God that he is going to have a son. And in his mind, there's this disconnect because he understands that he is old and his wife is old. And this is going to be a problem. But not only are you going to have a son, which you've been praying for, the son is going to be God's answer to the prayers of Israel to save them and redeem them. So, so not only is God going to show his favor to you through a son, he's going to show his favor to Israel through this son. He's going to be a blessing to this world. And he is going to rewrite the history of the world. Everything is going to turn on the birth of this child because this child is preparing the way for the Messiah. And so to a people who are struggling and are feeling hopeless, this word of hope changes everything. That this child is beginning to prepare the way for the Messiah. God's plan of redemption is starting. God is working and God is changing the world through this birth. And so for Zechariah, I am sure there is this moment of hope. Like, oh, 
This, this is what we've been praying. We've been praying for this for a really long time. Most historians believe Zechariah and his wife are probably in their 80s. Probably in their 80s. So now, knowing that, I want you to listen verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So, so here is Zechariah, who's probably in his 80s, who is told, you're going to have a child. Mike Warner. You remember that little thing you did to me on Thursday? I was at a funeral. I'm, I'm telling on you. I was at a funeral, and I said hi to Mike, and I went into the restroom. And I was in the restroom, and I was coming out of the restroom, and I turned the doorknob after I unlocked it, and it didn't work. And so I started messing with the doorknob and the lock, and it still doesn't work. And so after about a minute, I figured this lock broke while I was in here. And so I was going to miss the funeral. And so I'm, I'm sitting in a restroom, and I start knocking on the door, and I said, I think your lock is broken. At the exact time that the door opens with Mike Warner standing outside laughing because he had been holding the doorknob. So Mike, I was praying this week and God spoke to me and he said, Barbara is going to have a baby. So you get the idea, though, all right? Zachariah and his wife are well advanced in years. This is not the time you start having kids. This is the time you start having great-grandchildren, okay? And, and Zachariah is told by an angel in this moment that you're going to have kids, And his response is, you sure about this? And, and I've heard people who like, want to be like super spiritual, like, I can't believe Zachariah Doubt. Come on. <laughs> if you're their age, and an angel tells you that's going to happen, you start to question. Undoubtedly. 
Like, I think we all relate to Zechariah a little bit more than we would like to admit. That there are times God is working in our life. And we're a little unsure of the way he's working. We're a little unsure of the way he's showing up. And what he's doing. And and so because of that, the angel says, now you're not going to be able to talk. You're going to be silenced. And I, I was reading all these commentators saying, like, he was cursed with this silence. I, I disagree. I think the angel was blessing Zechariah. Because when he walks in that door, do you have any idea how many questions Elizabeth is fixing to ask him? <laughs> and all Zechariah has to do is look. Which is what we do anyway, right, guys? He he's not able to speak. He's not able to speak this good news. I don't know if Zachariah at this age would have said, this is good news. But they do. They consider it a blessing that God is answering their prayers. And for Zachariah and Elizabeth, he's answering their prayers years after they've been asking. Because my guess is you don't start praying for kids when you're 80. You start praying for kids when you're 20, 25. God, we have been faithful to you. We have loved you. And you haven't blessed us with kids. God, please hear our prayer. And it's at this point that God says, I know all my people are going through. I know what the world you live in looks like. But here's the good news. I'm still there. And no matter what you're going through, I hear your cries for help. And just like in Egypt, I've heard your cries and I'm concerned about your suffering. And so I'm coming down to deliver you. And see, the word that Israel is going to get now, the word that's going to be spoken to Jerusalem now, is not your finished. It's not, hey, the oppressive reign is over. But it's going to be bigger than that. Because John is preparing the way for the Messiah who's going to come. And the Messiah is not going to say, you're finished. The Messiah is going to say, it's finished. It's been done. 
And there is freedom for the people of God. See, this is good news. To a world that's stuck in darkness. The light is dawning. A new day is coming. And John is just a sign pointing to the one who is coming into the world to save the world, to redeem it. And we can ask the question, does God hear our prayers? Does God hear us when we cry? We say, absolutely. Absolutely, God hears the cry of his people. Today, as he did thousands of years ago. And he still has an answer. And that answer is going to come through a baby that comes into this world for the purpose of completing God's mission, his plan to redeem a lost humanity. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for this baby born in a manger. But we thank you so much for the way that you prepared the way through John and through his faithful parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Who, Father, I think we can relate to is they get this message that would be so difficult to believe. But yet it is a message filled with hope that you still hear the cries of your people and you still have concern for us. And Father, as we wait for those words that we're finished, we don't have to go through this anymore. We do so with hope, knowing those words are possible because of what Jesus did for us. We thank you so much for that gift. We thank you so much for hearing us when we need you so badly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can help you in any way, we're going to have our shepherds and their spouses around the back of the auditorium. If we could pray for you. Um, if you've never given your life to Christ, what a great day to do that. But they would love to, to share with you um, while we stand and sing.